it's the simplest thing in the world, but I'll just say to parents, turn to your son, to your daughter, and talk to them about why you want them to be confirmed. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am not joined by my regular co-host, Dave Van Vickle, Dave the Party Van Vickle. I am instead joined by Staff Writer at Ascension Press. Staff Writer? <laughs> Is that the title? Staff Writer? There's, I, did I get it right? That's what they staff call me. Staff Writer. There you go. Uh, Colin McIver, who wrote a wonderful new catechist field guide to confirmation. This is so important for us right now, training your good folks on how to be excellent teachers. So, uh, this book is out there. I just took over Colin. I just took over youth ministry at my parish. (laughs) And, uh, uh, so when they said, do you want to interview Colin about his new book? I said, absolutely. Can I have a sample? <laughs> because I need to steal everything right now. <laughs> so how are you? Let's let's first let's uh, I haven't seen you in what about two years, maybe? You were at the National Catholic Bible. I think Conference that was yeah. down here in Houston. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I was down in Houston for that a couple of years back. Um I think we did uh we did a webinar like over the summer though. So Oh, we did the webinar. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Digitally saw each I mean, other. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So uh, what are you up to right now? What are you what are you doing? How's life? We were at Franciscan together a little bit. We didn't we didn't hang out all that much because you were in a weird household. But uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but uh, what, yeah. what are you up to? Yeah, now? I was only there for actually nine months. So well, really? let's see right now. I huh. yeah, yeah. I uh, I transferred in as a senior. So I was there from, you know, just like oh, a September right. to a May. Yeah. And rode off into the sunset to Louisiana. Um, but right now, so actually for a bunch of years, I've been at, um, I'm at St. Scholastica Academy where I'm sitting right now. So I am the campus minister at an all girls Catholic high school and, um, part-time, uh, I work in a parish. This is probably the story of a lot of people who work in ministry where you're like, I do this and I do this and I change the sanctuary lamp and I fold up tables and chairs and stuff. (laughs) Um, but also at my parish, uh, my title there is is youth minister, which is part time, and a lot of what that is is confirmation preparation and things that are associated with that. So um, that's been going on for for a dozen years. Confirmation prep is uh, one of my passions. I see sacramental prep as is super important for the work of evangelization. And I think um, this may be the case everywhere, but especially in Southeast Louisiana, um, there are so many people that still go through sacramental preparation, but they're kind of hanging by a thread Catholics. And it's it's an opportunity where you have kind of this captive audience that is they're there for the sacraments, um, and maybe in part because they think it's a rite of passage, but you have an opportunity to evangelize and draw them fully into the life of the church. So that's um, yeah. that's always my hope and aim and goal. And yeah. and yeah, and I do some stuff for Ascension too. Um, been working on writing resources and helping to hopefully train and facilitate training for folks for uh, probably more than a decade now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I um, I always have a love hate relationship with confirmation because mm-hmm. where I'm at, confirmation is sophomore year of high school. Yeah, and uh, it's so funny because. You know, it's a year-long class. You have to have a prereq year in high school. So you, ours was life team. Um, you had to have good enough attendance for that in order just to get into the confirmation prep program. 
And then through it, it, like, you know, it's a classroom model. It's very well, fairly well developed. Um, and then we do a weekend retreat. And that's, you know, it's such a highlight for so many people. We used to have to do two retreats because we had uh, almost 300 kids signed up, you know, and you couldn't do it in one place. But then we found a campsite big enough for 175 kids in confirmation prep, 300 or, or an additional 100 adults sponsor, you know, like all these extra people that we had helping out. And uh, it was wild. But so many of those kids are so angry that we they don't want to be there in the first place we now we've robbed them of an entire weekend and it's only about jesus-y stuff right so like it, it is a non-stop battle uh with these kids and the funny thing is that their parents have no idea their parents have no idea how much their kids hate it have you ever have you been running into that or are your kids all like super holy Oh, no, definitely that. Yeah. I mean, it's a combination. So what's a little unique in my parish is that a lot of our, a lot of our candidates are also students in Catholic schools. Um, but that mm. obviously is not a guarantee that they are thrilled about being there. As a matter of fact, sometimes they're like, well, if, if I'm doing like five days a week of, of like a theology class, why do I have to do sacramental preparation in a parish? And you have to kind of get it into their heads. Well, cause your parish is your spiritual home. And are you too good for your home? That kind of thing. Um, <laughs> But, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll focus on here that I've kind of discovered through the years is um, I think like the main goal is to get more to the parents than it is to the candidates. <laughs> and Always. I think in where we're at with with COVID and with the limitations of what we can do in terms of in-person ministry, um, we're, we're kind of forced to, to take a deeper look at what we can be doing to empower parents to embrace their primary role as catechists. And of course, for them to do that, um, they have to themselves like be catechized and, and they have to want it. So that that's always been a thing that I've thought a lot about, but especially this year, like there's we start off with with a meeting with the parents and the candidates and it's the simplest thing in the world but i'll just say to parents turn to your son to your daughter and talk to them about why you want them to be confirmed and it, it's a should be an easy basic kind of conversation but oftentimes it hasn't happened yet and then i'll say all right candidate turn to your mom to your dad and tell them how you feel about being here. <laughs> and sometimes that goes over <laughs> like a lead balloon, but but it at least provides an honest start. And yeah. um, I found that to be helpful. And and one thing, I, I I think that overnight retreats are absolutely indispensable. My own my own like high school conversion experience was at a Steubenville conference, and probably a lot of people listening have a similar kind of story. I was like a punk teenager. Somebody stuffed me on a bus. I was resistant. Jesus was in my face. I cried. My life changed. Um, yeah. But I think that um, maybe for that confirmation captive audience, starting with a day or starting with you know a few hours may not be a bad idea. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's we, we were kind of forced to do that this year, and I found it to be um, to be pretty helpful. You know, I also have a, a neighboring um, youth minister who runs an, an incredible retreat every uh, every year, and my my students always come back and they're they're totally zapped, and I love that too. But um, but I think maybe there's something to be said about like kind of small bites at first. You know. Yeah, yeah. So when talking about working with parents, what are some of the things that um, what are your book talks about? In, why candidates and parents might be seeking confirmation? What are things that you're seeing 
more or less from from where you're at. Like, why are they there? Okay, so in in writing the field guide, one of the things that I wanted to do was just to kind of lay out a little bit of uh, kind of a diagnosis. You know, things that most people have sort of observed, but maybe haven't put their finger on. Um, it's kind of kind of a Walker Percy thing. He's one of my favorite writers, and he was from nice. right here in Covington, Louisiana. He, he kind of has this thing about you walk into a doctor's office and before they even give you a prescription, if they can name what you're dealing with, you feel a little bit better. So mm -hmm. one of the things that's in the book is to identify why parents and candidates are signing up for your program in the first place. And then we kind of go through, well, what's wrong with that? And, but what's, yeah. what's right about that? What can you build on? So we'll kind of start off with a lot of parents are seeking for their candidate to be confirmed because they want them to be married in the church later. And they want that to be a door that's open to them. And obviously what's wrong with that is it's treating sacraments like, you know, little, little carrots on the end of a stick. And it mm. kind of ignores the deeper end of sacramental life. But what's right with that is, well, confirmation in rooting you more deeply in your identity in Christ and in equipping you with the gifts of the Holy Spirit is actually great marriage preparation if received properly. So I, I think that that kind of starting with, all right, we know that a lot of them are here for this reason. Um, we could look down at our noses and be like, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like the rest of these parents who are so poorly <laughs> catechized, you know, or we could start with, all right, well, what's what's still here is some some rooting in sacramental grace or another group that I have and I think this is a pretty big group and I see this a lot with with parents who they're not going to mass on Sundays themselves they've kind of fallen into like Christmas and Easter Catholic mode but they want their sons and daughters to be confirmed because it would break their parents hearts you know so it's yeah. grandma and and grandpa or whatever you call them in your part of the country um <laughs> and they're kind of the driving engine and there's obviously something wrong with this because it means that the practice of the faith and the engagement in the faith has kind of fallen off in in the current generation but what's good right, about it right. is there's there's still it's like you're saying there's a chance there's there's mm -hmm. a thread that they're hanging by and i think um for me there's always an urgency because if if the the parents of the candidates are hanging by a thread themselves, if real evangelization and something doesn't happen in this generation, then that that thread's not there in the next generation. And so there's yeah. a little bit of an urgency there. And I don't want to hit the panic button, but I I want to say, well, let's let's acknowledge that this is the case. And let's step up our game by really welcoming the parents of these candidates and really like providing some good news and, and not pointing our fingers, but, but by keeping in mind that if we want to evangelize the candidates, we have to find ways to evangelize the parents. Um, we have to, it's in, in great divorce. I always, the image of, uh, you know, I think it's when he, he meets one of, one of the ghosts that he meets in great divorce. And he's talking about blowing on a spark, you know, that there's just like a little spark left and we blow on that spark until it becomes white hot coal. I think, um, as a confirmation director, as somebody who's, who's a catechist volunteering, you want to focus on blowing on the spark that's still there in the parents. Um, so that maybe yeah. they go home and they're able to have those conversations with the candidates too. So, um, yeah, there's a whole part of the book that's kind of on the reasons that they might be showing up and it goes up to, you know, your, I call them like your St. Monica parents that they're the ones who are there and they're like going to daily mass and fasting and praying rosaries and possibly they have a stigmata or something. Um, but their kids don't care. 
And so yeah. even for, for them, um, there's obviously a lot of willingness, but they're not quite sure how to connect maybe, um, with their, their sons and daughters, especially around the faith and, um, acknowledging that, you know, I don't think that they're, um, and you won't find in the book, like I'm not big into like over promising, like here's the three easy steps that are like guaranteed to fix it every time. But I think acknowledging, acknowledging that that's the issue, then it gives us a space to step into a relationship with those parents, um, and, and, and really get somewhere. So yeah, yeah that, that's a lot of what's, what's spent in the book, um, is, is time identifying the motives of your candidates and sponsors. And then there's even kind of profiles of, of where the, where your candidates might be at, you know, everything from your, um, your candidate, who's like the super youth group kid who dominates a small group, but you know, <laughs> y- you love them, but they just keep talking and talking. Um, I, I was, totally wasn't that kid. In high school. I was going to me. I was like, uh, well, Scott Hahn, Scott Hahn says, Scott Hahn would say, uh, yeah, you know, it, it is awesome when we talk about so many people like this show, because though the topics might be, you know, on justification or whatever it might be. Um, we always try to keep it practical. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I like about this book is like you actually have like dossiers on like detailed descriptions <laughs> on like the different types of students that you're going to encounter and how to work with them and how to deal with them. Um, the same with the parents. And when you are a catechist for confirmation, especially if you have a high school program, I think they're the you use the word urgency. It's so important because in so many ways, this will be the last time they are a captive audience. And many of them, if the studies are borne out um, in your own parish, they will not come back for marriage preparation. You will never see them again, especially if their parents um, don't go to Christmas and Easter or anything in terms of church. And oftentimes you'll, you'll see them when there's a horrible crisis, yeah. right? So the the goal of confirmation preparation in so many ways is fueled by panic you know like a lot of people don't have like we're nervous that they're not going to have all the information they're not going to have the right amount of information most confirmation programs that i've seen are not confirmation prep they're like the rcia right like here's here is all four pillars or all four parts of the catechism uh and we're going to run through them all and it's amazing because um someone said to me this once uh, my buddy luke he said, you know, so often we get lost in like matter and form of the sacrament that we don't take stock to realize half these kids are atheists and they yeah. don't even believe in God. And you're doing this detailed thing on the sacrament and they think this is all like pre-scientific mumbo jumbo, you know, and um, that that opened my eyes because you you begin to see the beautiful place when done rightly of things like apologetics. Mm hmm. Things like, you know, proposing the basic gospel message in a very real and practical way. But what I found is most institutional programs assume faith. Yes. Most people who run the programs don't assume faith, but they just dive into hardcore catechesis. Like we're going to shove the catechism, you know, and and the catechism is amazing. Um, and I, I don't want to denigrate that, but a lot of it is actually our pre-evangelization work and proposing that basic gospel message for them to be like, oh, so that's what Christianity is. That's what God wants to do in my life. Um, where do you see connecting with um, kids with the gospel in the, in this area? What, what are you seeing in your own work? 
Well, l- let me start as, as you're talking. I remember the, my first conversation ever with with Matt Pinto, the the president and founder of Ascension. Um, before I, I went out to do, maybe it was like the first ever theology of the body training. He said, "Colin, remember that people aren't going to care about carburetors if they don't care about cars." You know, <laughs> and just there's yeah. this tendency we have to if we who are into this stuff and probably everyone who's listening to this podcast is really into this stuff. Um, we, we can get stuck in talking insider baseball and you have to step back into kind of the, the worldview of your candidates and their parents. Um, what was your original question? I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, just the incorporation of, Mm -hmm. of apologetics and evangelization, because so many are coming, you know, from a place with a, a lack of faith. So one of the things that I, that I recommend and that I do often in practice is I'm constantly asking candidates what questions they actually have, not with the illusion that we're going to get to all of those questions, but you can see trends that pick up. So I, in right when they apply for the program, one of the things that I'll do is just have them come up with their three top questions. And sometimes it's a little bit like there's the, one of these uh, Brian Regan moments where he's like talking about being in, in the butterfly hut and they're like, you know, do you have any questions about butterflies? And you're like, uh, I don't know. And sometimes <laughs> on, I love that <laughs> on the spot the the candidates don't know even what they're wondering. So I ask them a bunch of times and I think it's important to, to do that, to try to figure out like, what are they wondering about? And then as they become a little more open and they feel a little safer to ask what they're actually wondering that, that helps. Um, I, yeah. I had an experience, this was with, with 10th graders, we confirm in 11th grade, um, but, um, this was kind of the the early stages of confirmation prep with our students that go to public school and come to parish school of religion. And I did that question activity and I got like 10 questions about how the Bible and science go together. And, and immediately I knew, all right, well, this is something we need to talk about in the beginning because they are like hearing the, the, the pre-scientific mumbo jumbo and they are starting off by assuming and you know studies would tell us that this is this is a big thing that a lot of um a lot of people fall off of their faith because they have kind of a a second grade reading of genesis and then they come to like a 10th grade reading of biology and they they think well these two can't go together so it's something you have to to deal with um but asking questions Asking them to ask their questions helps yeah. um, so that you're not answering questions that they don't have because those yeah, are the ones I, they want retained. I love that. That is such a good strategy for teaching every class. Constantly, constantly pause and you have questions, you have questions. I, I have a terrible reputation. Whenever I'm in my adult confirmation class, uh, I, we always joke that the goal is to get out of the classroom by 830, but we never do before nine. Uh-huh. And I talk and I'll stop and I'll go, does anyone have any questions? Okay, good. Now I can keep talking. And then, I, <laughs> but uh, it's a joke. It's a joke ish. But uh, within the, within the environment, right? I, I tell people all the time, questioning, a questioning mind is not a sign of a lack of faith. It's a sign that you take the stuff seriously. So ask your questions, but intentionally carving out, give me your top three. See, that's the thing. That's good stuff like this. What you're going to find in the catechist field guide, like, the understanding, like you have to, as the catechist, realize that God has called you into this apostolate. You are doing this. Let's add some intentionality behind it. If kids are coming from an atheistic, agnostic, or I just don't care background, there are different ways that we can intentionally approach this to break them out of their, uh, you know, hard exterior 
that they, you know, this wall that they put up between you and faith or you and Jesus or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, now, uh, these are the things that catechists ask me. So you want to talk about your top questions. These are the things. How do you deal with the jerk? How do you deal with the kid who's, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a seasoned teacher, right? How do you deal with the kid who just delights in pushing teacher's buttons? What do you do classroom management style? Let's pretend we're not doing a flip digital anything, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We're in class. How do you deal without uh, choke slamming them? The good old days when you had behavior <laughs> problems that you couldn't mute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah no kidding. So uh, the recommendation that's, that's there in the field guide is um, to find a way to talk to that candidate one-on-one and to encourage. And I I go back to a a story that somebody told me at at a training. It was a a catechist who was about to blow up at a kid who was absolutely just like disruptive every week was, um, you know, just completely making every small group a train wreck. And he wanted to take him after the session and he was about to like, just hand it to him and, you know, maybe kick him out of the program. And a little voice inside his head, the Holy Spirit said, ask this kid what's wrong. Right. So he takes this kid out afterwards and, you know, he's like, can I talk to you for a second? And he said, Hey, I I noticed the way that you've been acting. I just want to say, is everything okay in your life? Is anything wrong? And I'm not saying this is going to happen every time, but in that specific (laughs) instance, all of a sudden this kid snotty tears is spilling about like what's happening in his home life. And, um, now I'm not guaranteeing that will happen every time, (laughs) but it, it does highlight that when, when a candidate is really acting out, there is most often a, a reason and a route to get to. And it, you probably won't get to it in that first conversation where you say, what's wrong? But if you ask yeah. that question constantly, if you pay attention to things that matter to that candidate and over the series of like a couple weeks, you say that it's a candidate and they play basketball, they play football. If you make it a point to ask them how practice was, probably just like, you know, if you're a parent of a teenager, like they would do, they'd be like, yeah. man, it was okay. But they do notice those things. You know, and so yeah. so winning over um, the heart of a behavior problem is probably the biggest weapon you have, especially in the parish where it's not like you have a, a detention system. Um, mm-hmm. So it's to begin with a candidate, um, to begin by trying to establish that rapport and relationship, and then, you know, kind of subsidiarity moving out. Then it's to maybe move out to a conversation with parents to say, hey, it seems like you know, seems like Tina really doesn't want to be here. Seems like Tommy doesn't really want to be here. And I just want to tell you about what we've been experiencing, what's going on at home, you know? So it's kind of gathering that, that data. Um, I think it's, it's a a line in the book too. I, I say to kind of put on a stethoscope and try to listen to the hearts of the candidates, which by the way, is why it's, it's important even, and, and you're describing it, your parish, our, our parish, we just confirmed um, 140 last weekend, which was, you know, quite a trick during COVID, like split up over yeah. a couple of confirmations. But when you have that bigger program, trying to find ways to make the small group thing happen, um, yeah. I will readily admit that that in the middle of COVID, that that didn't go the way exactly that I wanted it to this year. Um, just highlighting how important it is to be able to have, you know, a group of ten or so, so you can put on your stethoscope and listen. And also, part of the reason for the catechist field guide is if you're the confirmation director and you have 140 candidates, you can't do that for 140 candidates. You right. need to have those on your team who are able to, uh, to do that, to, to share in that, that work, you know, um, that kind of model of discipleship in in smaller groups is, 
is really important for an effective approach. Have you ever had to boot someone from class? You ever had to do that? I I haven't. I, I probably should have. My uh, if I err, I err on the side of being too permissive and, and pushover. You know, um, yeah. But I, I never have. Now I have had on my team from time to time an enforcer um, who will like handle <laughs> those sorts of things. But I've never I've never actually had to had to boot somebody. I had to, and my big thing was in youth group. It was within the youth group context. Um, I realized something because I'm I'm the heir on the side of mercy. You know, give him a second, third, fourth chance. Come on, be merciful. But one of the things I found was the kids who were really excited about their faith and genuinely wanted to learn couldn't, and so yeah. they hated confirmation. Yes. Yes. And when you get to that point where you're like, oh, man, it is time for one to die so that the ma- nation may not perish. Uh, <laughs> bring a little Caiaphas principle. But I, I went up to the kid and I was like, hey, man, like, you know, you give him every chance you talk about. It, but he was his, his will was opposed to being there for one more minute. So after talking with the parents and all this stuff, it's like you gots to go. And it was super hard, super hard. And I never saw him again. Wish. Wish, you know, I did all the things I thought I could do, but um, in the end, and that, it was hard, but the class got better. In 25 you know? years, you're going to run into him and he's going to say, hey, I just want to thank you for giving <laughs> me enough tough love that made me the man that I am today. Yeah. As, and and, and say, then you go to, you'll go to confession to him or something. I don't know. <laughs> and then his name is Archbishop. No, uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. All right. Now. Everything that we do about, uh, you know, every knee shall bow. And I say everything as somewhat of a joke because half the time me and Dave are recording like minutes before he gets on a plane or something like that. But we always, always try. It's a, it's a good faith effort to have practical takeaways for everyone. So when we come back from this commercial break from our fine folks at Ascension, we are going to do three practical takeaways. I don't even know what they are. I asked Colin to prepare them for me as I was homeschooling my kids five seconds ago. <laughs> So uh, he came up with uh, three practical takeaways, and we're going to hit those right when we come back. If you have your questions, me and Dave have next week's um, thing scheduled for us to record. Um, And he went through a whole bunch of listener questions that has come in in the meantime. If you want to have your questions answered on Every Knee Shall Bow, just email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com, and that will come to both me and Dave, and we can start uh, putting your important evangelization questions on the list. And here's a promise. If any of you want to learn more about the catechist field guide or have questions over what we talked about, you shoot those questions into me. I'll make sure Colin can get them. And uh, we'll, we'll try to uh, pass that feedback on in future episodes. So here we go to our break. Two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ chose corrupt, broken, imperfect, sinful men to be the foundation of his church. And because these broken, imperfect men chose to remain in relationship with Jesus, they became saints. And they were used by Jesus to transform hearts and minds two thousand years later. I invite you to check out my book, Broken and Blessed where you'll find practical tools to overcome habitual sin, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and to walk with an imperfect church toward a perfect God. 
who is calling all of us to perfection over time. To order the paperback book or audiobook, Broken and Blessed, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Uh, I have been talking with Colin, and we are going through the Catechist Field Guide for Confirmation, available over at Ascension Press. Uh, something that right now, I don't know about y'all, what we are doing at my church is we thought we were going to be on total lockdown, couldn't have adolescents doing faith formation at all in our parish. So what we did was I created six weeks of content for video on demand, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we can't trust our, our wonky internet. So it's like, okay, these videos will live up there. Get it done by December 1st. Here's some, here's an essay, a video, an essay, and a, an assessment quiz. If you can go through this and the quiz is super easy, it's nothing, but if you can do this, so we use the same platform that Ascension does for their fancy pants learning thinkific. So yeah. uh, what, what is my called? Faith and reason dot thinkific dot com. And the kids sign up for an account. They go through. We It's so funny. We have like 350 kids watching these videos every week and doing the, the programs and stuff like that. But the whole idea was that gave us enough breathing room for the fall semester to figure out what are we going to do in the spring? And so I just did all the stuff on like, how can, how do you know that God exists is faith? You know, it's like faith and reason type stuff. So I was so panicky because we, we thought we were going to, everything was just going to be another zoom class. Yeah. And then the Cardinal said, yeah, you can meet on campus as long as you can do the safe environment or uh, social distancing and all that stuff. So half of them are going to be on zoom. Half of them, if the parents are okay with it, are going to come in. And so we're, we're just scrambling. And our whole goal was this is the time to do training, training, training. Mm -hmm. November, October was recruiting. September was, you know, the dumpster is on fire. So October was uh, <laughs> October's month of recruiting. And then November is going to be the month of training. And so um, it, the cool thing is Ascension sells them in, in like packs of 10. So you yeah. can pick it up for your church and not just uh, individual copies. But here's my one question. Many people aren't like Texas and Louisiana. They can't meet in person. What is your number one tip uh, for, for for folks um, who have to do it online? So the number one tip would be to ensure that you have a small enough group that cameras can be on, it can be face-to-face, -face, and that you don't skip things like icebreakers and um, and ways to, to establish that zone of freedom. You know, so it needs zone to be a zone of freedom, a zone of freedom. And we're recording okay. the day after the feast of St. John Paul II. So there you go. like the model for like effective ministry to young people, like it, it, it's that they have to feel free enough to really be themselves and to speak, yeah. to speak their hearts because you can, um, you can do like homework at home. So you're talking about what you've got going on in your parish where you, you've recorded some things or some things for them to do. Um, whatever program you're using, if, if they're using Chosen, there, there's videos to engage. And on that same Thinkific platform, there's ways for them to kind of check off. You can see that they actually watch the videos. But the important work is really like engaging them. And if that's happening on, on Zoom or Google Meet or Skype or whatever platform you got, um, you want to make sure that that it's face-to-face, -face, that it's friendly, um, that you don't have like a hundred people on a call, you know? So if, <laughs> if you're bigger than a Brady Bunch screen, then you want to rethink it. I had, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's nice. And 
and I'm saying this also, like after, after the guide was out, gosh, th- this year you just have to be able to adapt. So we had so many candidates who were, were remote and so many who were live. And we tried a few times to have live candidates in front of us. And then also to have a zoom call set up at the same time. And, mm-hmm. and there were so many souls that are no longer in purgatory after I had to leave that session. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very difficult and and it also opened up the possibility if you're on the Zoom call uh, you know you might be looking at a ceiling fan or something as opposed to looking at a candidate face to face so setting up those ground rules making sure cameras are on that is a small enough group and creating a zone of freedom i think that's that's really integral for for making that work and it, and it can um in the spring for school, we we went online, and because we'd already established relationships, we had some really good classes. And um, yeah. some of my quieter students, who were quiet in person, were more free to share for whatever reason on on Zoom, maybe because they're used to making TikTok videos or something. But <laughs> um, but we had some really good good sessions that can happen. Um, but you want to make sure that it's a small enough group that there's a rapport established so that they can really share. You know, awesome. Awesome. It can be done. It can mm-hmm. be done. Good deal. Thank you so much for that. I, I know a lot of people on the struggle bus, as we are in my own church, trying to figure it out. You get parents who are like, I want my kid to be in person. You get other parents who are like, how dare you even offer it in person? So <laughs> you're, it's like you can't win and uh, it's so difficult. But ministry can still happen mm-hmm. uh, via screens. It can still happen. It's not It's not ideal, right? We are a sacramental people. But all right, now let's transition into everyone's favorite part of the show we're going to do our practical takeaways why don't you walk us through them number one all right number one keep focused on the goal which is forming lifelong disciples so Mm. the whole catechist field guide starts with kind of a little bit of a checkbox which which i modeled off of a book called lost in the cosmos um, which is another walker percy book um Mm. But you could check every box on that, and they're all true to some degree. Like the goal of confirmation preparation is to ensure that you don't do anything to especially embarrass embarrass your pastor in front of the bishop when he shows up. Um, the, <laughs> the goal of confirmation prep is to make sure that your candidates know their catechetical ABCs and that they 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 know the content of the faith. Well, of course, that's part of it, right? But it, it, it kind of ascends all the way up to the goal is so that they would be formed as disciples of Jesus Christ and lifelong Catholics who end up in heaven, right? And um, keeping the overarching goal in front of your eyes is really important. So that would be my first tip. And as a, a confirmation director, you may be filling out spreadsheets and tracking attendance and taking care of all these logistical things. It's so easy to miss the forest for the trees and just to find ways to go back to what is the overarching goal? Like, why am I filling out the spreadsheet or the liturgy form that I have to send in so that the bishop can come? Or why... Um, why am I recording all this stuff? It's, it's so that your candidates can become lifelong disciples. Um, number two and related to that is, is to understand the starting point of your candidates and their parents to step back and really try to understand, um, the people that I'm trying to evangelize and catechize, how do they see things? You know, where, why are they here? What's keeping them coming and, and going back to that and making that a progress, a project, um, for, for the whole of, of the preparation. Um, I have behind me teaching a school that's has Benedictine heritage and uh, right out of 
the rule of St. Benedict is, is listen with the ear of the heart and just ensure that you and your team are trained to, to listen to, um, to the dispositions of your candidates and their parents and their sponsors. We didn't talk a lot about sponsors, but that's a whole other thing mm. because a sponsor could be an honorific aunt or uncle who mom or dad picks, or a sponsor could be somebody to accompany the candidate. Um, so that's, that's also in there too, as a, a nice. big nice. idea. And, and number three, um, as a tip is, is find ways to empower pan- parents, especially during the pandemic when um, parents are spending more time in the house with their teens. They may be spending a lot of time in the house with their teens, but the teens may be behind a door with whatever happening on five or six screens at a time. Um, encourage and empower parents to be the primary catechist of their child. And part of that deal of being the primary catechist is just learning to to love their teenager in in the midst of the difficulty and tumultuous life of teenagerhood, um, and whether <laughs> teenagerhoodness, um, whether that's like sixth, seventh grade candidates or eleventh grade. So yeah, Gomer in your diocese, it they're they're sophomores here, they're juniors. They have, yeah, but, they have to be a minimum of sophomores. Yeah, and and in a lot of dioceses, they're they're kind of doing like this seventh eighth grade thing. Um, mm-hmm. And, and this was, this would be true too. You know, if you, if it's an angsty 13 year old, you know, just to empower parents, um, that's really, um, a key and, and all, you know, all the studies and the research indicate that the odds of a young person continuing in the practice of their faith go way up. If their parents are engaged, they go even higher if it's their father that's engaged and then they go even the highest. And I can't, I've never been able to find this study, but sometime before COVID, I was in a workshop and the the uh, the findings of this study really stuck with me, but I've, I've never been able to find it. So this is, I guess, anecdotal. You'll have to take my word on this. But the highest indicator is whether or not families can talk about Jesus stuff. Like if a family can talk about faith, then the odds go even higher of continued practice. So one of the ways to empower parents is just to mentor some conversations. Like parents, turn to your candidates. Um, what do you think about Jesus? And uh, not a guarantee, but quite possibly that that conversation's never happened, right? And right. so maybe over over a Chick Fil A biscuit at a morning of reflection, or you know, <laughs> over coffee or pizza, you can just simply stand in front of a group of parents and candidates and equip them with the right questions to ask, and it could be a life changer. That's awesome. That's awesome. All righty, Colin, where can people find you if they want to learn more? We'll have links in the show notes to the Catechist Field Guide to Confirmation. Um, But where else can people find you, your work, anything else? So in Louisiana, I sit in the middle of a bayou and drink green tea uh, on a lily pad. No, just kidding. That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) And wonderful, too. And wonderful. They can find... um, So C. McIver at ascensionpress.com is my email address. um, And that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. But I would love to hear feedback, especially if anyone is is using this this field guide. I'd love to hear about use cases. My kind of hope in... And laying out the resources would be that there would be kind of study groups. Um, also, that it would be helpful for it, – it's written so that if you're a busy person who volunteered to be a catechist and you don't have time to read a whole book, you can open up and read two or three pages. And every time you did, hopefully you'll be a better catechist. So I'd love to hear feedback on how that's working for you. Cool. And if you're looking for ideas and use cases, I'd love to talk. So C-M-A-C-I-V-E-R at ascensionpress.com. Well, awesome. And like I said, everyone, just – 
whatever podcast app you are using, uh, just go and check out the show notes for it. We got all sorts of good stuff. The people over at Ascension, it like passes. This episode passes between like eight people before it ever goes live, which is crazy to me mm-hmm. because uh, we don't ever turn them in until like two days before because we're incompetent idiots and we're supposed to give them seven <laughs> days. And uh, <laughs> But the the whole idea of so many people like have their yeah so if there's no show notes it's because i turned it in wednesday morning for the noon release um <laughs> but they do such a good job and so you can find the links to all this stuff like we said over at ascensionpress.com they will they will kick you out uh straight to the page um where you can go buy the bull copies or, or individually i'm telling you people listen up we have a beautiful opportunity covid can be an opportunity for retraining grounding people so many people who were the default people in your ministries now are bailing out and it's time you can recruit new talent. You can draw on new sources. This is an opportunity. It's not just a horrible, horrible, horrible 2020. There are opportunities. There's gold. You just got to know where to find it. All right, everyone. God bless. God bless.